what I find also, and, and definitely in my own experience, is although I was drinking, thinking it was subduing my anxiety, relieving my stress, I'm going to take a bath and pour a glass of wine, I'm going to go out on the patio and listen to my music, and this is going to be self-care. I actually looked at drinking as self-care because that's so much of the marketing and the messaging also to women uh, specifically is that, it, I mean, get that bottle of rosé, rosé all day. I mean, you can go buy a t-shirt about it. <laughs> um, and I wasn't drinking the rosé all day, but I was thinking about it all day for that night and fixating on it, which is not freedom, not freedom at all. And so, so I thought it was subduing my anxiety. I thought it was relieving my stress. In fact, I thought it would this is blows my mind now, knowing what I know about the science behind alcohol. I actually thought it was going to help me sleep. <laughs> you are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 251. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, veggie lovers, welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. Today, I have a super important podcast episode for you. And no, we didn't talk about veggies or fruits or beans in this episode. It is about our relationship with alcohol. So I definitely feel like if you are somebody who has been thinking about their relationship with alcohol and whether you may want to make some changes in that area or wondering if that's something you should be thinking about, this is the episode for you. I definitely want you to listen to it, share it with friends and family, and think about checking out our guest resources. So today, my guest is Jen Couch. Sober Sis was born Christmas Day of 2017. And since then, more than 200,000 women have downloaded the free Happy Hour Survival Guide and over 30,000 have participated in the 21-Day Reset Challenge. Those numbers are growing every month as she works hard to get the message out to more women. She is a motivational speaker and author of Look Alive Sis, which should be out now. Jen Couch her passion and life's calling is to create a space where women can renegotiate the relationship with alcohol without labels, judgment, or shame. She coaches women who feel stuck in the gray area on the drinking spectrum and helps women get off of autopilot and mindless sipping through the habit of wine o'clock. She is all about holistic health and promotes freedom from the detox to retox cycle. Sharing through her personal faith, understanding of science, and ability to facilitate connection, lives are being changed. Every day, women are becoming more fully alive through sober-minded living and more present in their own amazing lives. 
So in this episode, we talk about Jen's journey, how she created Sober Sis, what was it that led her to that moment? We talk about what it means to be sober-minded and what is this gray area of drinking. We talk about what are the common reasons that people develop habitual drinking and why we're seeing this trend of people even in later decades, 30s, 40s, and 50s that are falling into this gray area of drinking. We talk about the potential risks and adverse effects of consuming alcohol, why it's so difficult to change habits around alcohol. What does it mean to be sober curious? Is that a thing? And are there more people that are curious about changing their relationship with alcohol? Then we talk about some tips that she have for people that are interested in changing their habits around drinking and the relationship with alcohol. And then she leaves us with what you can do at social events if you're not drinking. I think that this episode is so irrelevant and I'm so glad that I brought Jen on because she definitely has this figured out to helping people that are in this gray area of drinking. And I think that there's a lot there. I've observed it. So I myself am not a drinker. I know that my substance of choice is food. So I know how that habit developed in my life and how difficult it has been to navigate that habit with overeating and binging and all of that. So I can only imagine what it's like for people that their substance is alcohol. I think both of these substances are highly socially acceptable and highly accessible. And because of that, it's so easy to fall into this habit that may not be supporting our well-being and how we want to show up in our lives for ourselves, for our partners, for our families, for our careers. So if you are being affected by this gray area of drinking, you want to learn more. I highly, highly, highly recommend this episode. And the reason we're airing it now is because Jen has a 21-day reset challenge that starts on the first of every single month. So we are airing this about a week before May 1st. And this year, 2023, May 1st happens to start on a Monday, even better, because, you know, Monday, fresh start, fresh day of the month. If you're curious about this, I encourage you to hop on with her, join her group and try that 21 day reset challenge to see how it affects you. How is it going to change the way you feel in your body, in your relationships? Highly recommend it. Veggie lovers, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for listening to episode after episode. Thank you for the feedback you've given me. And if you are new, welcome, welcome to my show. I hope that you stick around for a while and that you explore all the different episodes that I have on this podcast. And my aim on this podcast is to present with you things that are going to increase your well-being and empower you to reach that well-being that you desire. So thank you so much, veggie lovers. And now let us welcome Jen Couch. Jen Couch, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, well, I'm super excited about this conversation because it's something that I have been curious about, especially with post-COVID and how life has changed during a super stressful time in 
the entire world's life. So I'm really interested to hear about your experiences and some of the things that you can teach my audience. But let's start with your story. Tell me how you created Sober Sis. Yeah, well, thank you again for having me. And I feel like this is becoming more and more of a relevant topic, um, mainstream society, because I mean, let's face it, we really do live in a very alcohol centric society where alcohol is just so normal, socially acceptable. We're all meeting for drinks. We're kind of taking the edge off. How, how do we navigate the stress, the anxiety, the crisis of a pandemic often kind of putting the two together don't go so well. So um, a little bit more about me. So I, um, I'm i 51. I live in Texas. I have two adult kids. And um, I'm, I'm really a retired gray area drinker. And that's something that's also maybe a new term that your audience may not have heard before, which is gray area drinking. I always thought drinking was all or nothing, black and white. Either you were uh, someone who could take it or leave it and alcohol was super small in your life, or you were at the other end of the spectrum, totally full-blown, you know, alcoholic, physically dependent, and pick one. (laughs) And I couldn't pick one. I found myself really in the middle as someone who definitely over time developed an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, where it was something that I was leaning on at times, many times for what I thought was uh, helping with anxiety or stress um, or just social, uh, just the social aspect of it. But over time, I really became another term that I think you've already brought up, which is sober curious. I became more curious about my relationship with drinking, because what started out as kind of fun, kind of a pleasantry, kind of a little treat, a little reward, really turned into something I was doing on autopilot and living very unintentionally in the evenings, but living very mindfully and intentionally during the day. And that misalignment for me was what was the red flag. It was that I am so mindful, so healthy, so responsible, so on it all day. How do I keep that going in the evening, but still give myself a break and take a rest and have fun and and do that without having to have a drink in my hand? So I created Sober Sis really out of necessity based on seeing that there was a need because the need was to reach people just like myself who, um, you know, were just kind of trapped in what I call the detox to retox loop. Mm-hmm. Did you have an aha moment? I mean, what was it that made you think, oh, maybe I need to evaluate my relationship with alcohol? Is there something specific that happened? Yeah. And you know, what's what's so amazing about this gray area drinking zone is a lot of times there is no rock bottom. There is no big external consequence or something outside of your life that's going so wrong that that it kind of forces you to have to change. And I think that's the challenge is because nothing, quote, happened. It was more over time, this misaligning, this poor sleep, not equating the two that my nightcap (laughs) was not helping my restorative sleep, that I was waking up with a foggy brain, then making a later workout class. Just that started adding up. And two, I had some other kind of warning signs for me that like, let's take a closer look at this. I was sometimes drinking 
so out of habit when I didn't even really want to. You know, it was five o'clock, wine o'clock. I'm pouring a glass. I don't even really want it. I don't like the taste of it right then, but I kind of want the feeling. It's that dopamine hit. And um, so that was a red flag too. I'm like, I'm kind of sometimes doing what I don't even really want to do. What's that? I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That That's freedom. And, um, and two, as a mom, I, I really didn't like how I was showing up in my own life around my family. Honestly, I felt like, um, again, so mindful, so responsible by day. And then at night, you know, I was there. I was just kind of cleaning and cooking in the kitchen with my glass of wine. And, and I just felt that my presence in my own life, in my own relationship with me, much less my family, was just lacking. It was lacking presence. And that really wasn't okay with me. Mm, so interesting. So it sounds to me like you noticed that it was having an effect on your well-being and you weren't quite at that optimal state that you wanted to be as a person in your body with your family. And then you, then that's when you became curious, like, okay, what could I do about this? Yeah. Like there's gotta be more to my evening ritual than just numbing out in front of Netflix. There's gotta be more. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was a little bit later in life drinker. I really didn't drink uh, very much at all, socially speaking, or or at all in my college years or my 20s. So I kind of showed up as a working married mom in the networking scene, um, just doing a home-based business that ironically kept me at home during the day, but took me out of my house at night. And so it was in my young 30s with all the networking and the happy hours and the mingle at the bar, everyone grab a drink that I started really just kind of bringing it into my my life. And before I knew it, it was book club on Mondays and then date night with my guy on Fridays. And then I'm cooking on Tuesdays. (laughs) You know, I mean, before I know it, I'm looking up and I'm like, wow, what used to be minuscule in my life, almost nothing has now gotten so big that it's a part of my routine. And I can go without it. I could do the whole 30s. I could do the juice cleanses. I'm a big green juice person. I love juicing. So I could do all that. I could walk away. I could physically walk away from alcohol, but mentally and emotionally, it definitely had more of a hold on me. And just the mental tug of war. I know your listeners know what I'm talking about. That mental tug of war of, am I going to drink tonight? Am I not going to drink tonight? Am I going to have one glass? Am I going to have two? Don't have three. Okay. What if I had three? Might as well have four because let's finish the bottle. Let's get that gone. And and it's just, it's this snowball effect. And, um, and I think so much of my message is sober minded living even more, way more than sobriety or being sober. To me, that's abstinence from a substance. What I'm talking about, what I'm really passionate about is being sober-minded, being awake, alert, and present in your own life and looking at everything around you and thinking, does this make me more present or less present? Does this serve me? Does it serve others? Is this good for me? And I think when we do that, we kind of pop the hood and look in. And then that's when we get really curious. Yeah, no, this, I mean, honestly, it's really deep stuff. And I'll just be transparent. And one of the reasons that this topic fascinates me is because I'm not a drinker. I, I actually, 
I tried to become a drinker. This is a funny story. Okay. So I do not enjoy the flavor of alcohol at all because I have very sensitive taste buds to sour and bitter. But I felt like, okay, you know, I'm an adult now. I should have my drink, you know? And so I tried and tried for years. And it was always like my husband, and I got married very young when we were 21. So it was always like one of those things, my husband roll his eyes. All right, which drink are you going to make me drink? Because I would always take a sip or two. And I'm like, I can't take this. And so he'd end up finishing my drink. So eventually I'm like, it's just not working. I, I can't drink. And so I just gave up, you know? Um, so to me, it's fascinating because that's something that I can't even fathom having a craving for, but my substance, which it all, the root is the same for whatever mm-hmm. your substance of choice is going to be. And my substance of choice is food. So, you know, whenever you're talking about building that habit, that developing that habit over time of like, okay, I'm going to do this in the evening. Mine has always been food and numbing out on food and overeating and binge eating. That's my history, you know? So I think we can all identify with one another and how those habits form over time, even though we may not be using the same substance. It's just that both of those substances tend to be socially acceptable, right? So food is very socially acceptable. And so is the alcohol once you're of age to be drinking. But I found what you said super fascinating. It's something I've been thinking about since I knew that I was going to be interviewing you is how do you think it happens that people become gray area drinkers later in life? Because I think I always had this myth in my head that like, you know, you become like a drinker, you develop that habit early and you are, or you aren't. But now I've been finding that it does seem that there's a lot of people that it's happening later, forties, fifties. Yes. So tell me a little bit more about that. What can you talk about when it comes to that topic? I am so with you because I always thought that as well. Like, okay, if you've got quote, alcohol dependency issues, that's going to flare up early on. And then you're just going to get on that track and and kind of fight it your whole life, or this is going to be your issue. And for me, I didn't, I didn't grow up around uh, parents that drank. So I kind of didn't even mean to, but I was a bit of a teetotaler without even trying. I was much like you didn't have a, a, a affinity for the taste. I didn't like how I watched it affect other people. So I I just kind of wanted to stay more in control um, in those younger years than put myself in situations where I was kind of compromised. And so, yeah, I think that was part of what kind of blindsided me when I was in my 30s and the women I work with, many of which are in their 40s and 50s. And what I have found is it's usually a season of life. It's It's a life shift that happens where alcohol kind of has an on-ramp into your life, into your highway, kind of has an on-ramp at different times for different people for different reasons. And um, I think by the time I did start dabbling with alcohol, I was in a different headspace. And like you said earlier, I actually started my relationship with alcohol very much the same as maybe you. Like, this is something I kind of should do as an adult. It's a rite of passage. It it's what everyone else is doing. Um, I'm over 21. Hello, I'm 31. I'm 
you know, kind of meeting the the criteria of the rules around drinking. I'm like meeting them all. Like I should be drinking and liking it. So unlike you, <laughs> I push through. I push through that. I don't really like this initially because one thing I did like initially, and I think this is what kind of hooks people in at different ages, especially as we get older with uh, more life, just more life heat, turn it up, more stress, more empty nesting, more career change, more trying to kind of find our new place. Oftentimes as we're older, we're transitioning a lot. Our baggage is gathering. So we're more susceptible to any substance that immediately works. And that is what I noticed when I took that first drink in my 30s versus experimenting with alcohol in my younger years. I was like, ah, yuck. <laughs> it, it, I don't like that taste. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. In and of itself, we know alcohol itself, it's ethanol. It's, it's, it's a poison. So it's covered with flavors and all kinds of things to really, I mean, if it were marketed as it really were, we probably wouldn't go for it as well. But when we cover things with flavors and different marketing messages, it becomes an alluring thing. But your body was talking to you. It was, it was telling you, Hey, this probably isn't that great for me. And, um, and so for me, when I did drink in my 30s, again, married, mother, stress of life, when I drank then, I had an emotional encounter with alcohol, which was, ah, there it is. There's that relief and that turned my brain down a little bit from the overthinking. Um, I have no doubt about it. You're a high achiever. So you're probably a person that struggles 
with overthinking, just keeping it running. I do too. And so for me, initially, I was like, I don't really know how to turn that. I didn't know how to utilize uh, as purposefully. I think I was doing it all along in my 20s. I think we're doing it up until that time. But then I found a shortcut. It was like I found a shortcut, a quick fix to the problem that I was having. And because it worked for 20 minutes, it literally started training my brain, my neuropathway, my brain started catching on to, oh, wait a minute. If I'm stressed, anxious, bored, tired, lonely, hungry, any of the things, or I want to just feel socially accepted apart, I know, my brain knows how to do that and attach emotion to it. And there you go. And so I think that that can happen at any age. And I do think as we kind of hit these new life stages, if you're a mom, your kids start to get older, they don't need you as much. You've got a little bit more space to kind of play around with checking out for a minute. And um, and I think that if we're not intentional, if we're not being sober minded in our own life, it's real easy to fall into that social acceptable um, tool that we use, you know, all around us. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Everything you said, I feel is spot on and so wise and so true. And it just applies to so many things. And I'm just thinking about how you were talking about that slippery slope of that conditioning that developed, right? you you knew that drink is going to make you feel a certain way. And I'm just thinking about that with my eating. Like I know around a certain time in the afternoon when my brain is tired, my body's tired, it starts thinking about food. And it's not because I'm hungry. I'm not hungry, but it knows that that's the thing that I can use to get that opiate-like effect, you know? And so I'm imagining for those people that are using alcohol in that way, maybe three, four o'clock in the afternoon, and you're already thinking, oh, I'm going to oh, get yeah. that. I'm going to get that relief. You know, that craving, that's what craving is. That craving is that conditioning to that habit that has been developed to get that emotional response. So that's super, super fascinating. So I think we've already covered, you know, some of the common reasons that people develop habitual drinking. Maybe let's talk about what are the potential risks and adverse effects of consuming alcohol. So what are the things that people come to you for that they're like, I really want to address this gray area drinking? Yes. Well, and like we mentioned earlier, there may not be a lot of external consequences yet from drinking. It is kind of a one-way highway. People don't typically drink less and less. Unlike yourself, you just decided, I just don't even want to really partake in it at all. But people who who are really on that highway tend to tend to need more to get the same effect. So that tolerance builds. And as tolerance builds, we know dependency builds because you need more to get the same effect. And I think that's when women are starting to recognize, wait a minute, I have these good intentions in the morning. Like they're really good. Like I'm not drinking tonight or I'm only going to have one. And then like you said, about three o'clock, the low blood sugar, the bonk, the restlessness starts to creep in and then the good intentions fly out the window. And women come to me because they want to know, I have the good intentions. How do I transfer them to carry them out at night without feeling miserable, deprived, or like I'm just using so much willpower. 
I'm just exhausted, but I'm going to try again, you know? And so, um, what I find also, and, and definitely in my own experience is although I was drinking, thinking it was subduing my anxiety, relieving my stress. I'm going to take a bath and pour a glass of wine. I'm going to go out on the patio and listen to my music. And this is going to be self-care. I actually looked at drinking as self-care because that's so much of the marketing and the messaging also to women uh, specifically is that, it, I mean, get that bottle of rosé, rosé all day. I mean, you can go buy a t-shirt about it. <laughs> um, and I wasn't drinking the rosé all day, but I was thinking about it all day for that night and fixating on it, which is not freedom, not freedom at all. And so, so I thought it was subduing my anxiety. I thought it was relieving my stress. In fact, I thought it would this is blows my mind now, knowing what I know about the science behind alcohol. I actually thought it was going to help me sleep. <laughs> but a lot of women do. In fact, 20% of habitual or heavy drinkers, 20% use alcohol as a sleep aid, thinking it is going to turn off my brain. I can't stop ruminating at night. I'm worried about this or that or the other. I've got a, you know, a partner that snores. I don't want to hear my teenagers of at night. I'm going to knock it all out. Well, sure enough, it does. But what we don't know is the flip side of all of these things is that alcohol actually increases our anxiety. Um, without and, and you're you're the doctor here, so you can probably go even deeper into this. But I know that everything that goes up must come down. And so for all of that dopamine, that euphoria, that blissful feeling of that buzz, there's dynorphin. There's things that are actually bringing that down. And the cortisol actually rises. In fact, it not only rises right after drinking, it rises days after drinking. They have found, um, I'm a big fan of Huberman Lab, um, Andrew Huberman, I'm sure you've listened to his podcast as well. He's recently done several on alcohol and its effects. And um, and and more and more of the science medical community is really learning more about how alcohol impacts our brain and our body and that the cortisol is days later and the anxiety is higher days later. So we all know if you found a substance that temporarily numbs that anxiety, stress, shame, pain, heartache, or you've gotten a hit from it for celebrating something good, even with the increased anxiety, lack of restorative sleep, we don't tend to equate the two together. We don't put the two together. In fact, we see alcohol as the relief when really it's caused the problem. It's it's like having, you know, scratching an itch, thinking you're relieving it, but it's actually what you're doing is creating the itch itself. And I didn't know that for years. And so that's why I'm so passionate about helping women understand really in layman's terms, the aftershocks of that Hey, let's go out for margaritas with the girls. Let's have a few. You can do that, but you got to know on the back end what you're paying for that. And for that 20, 30 minutes, you're paying hours later, if not days. Yeah. And again, the quickest way to relieve the discomfort from that is to do it again, which is yeah. the detox, retox loop all over yeah. again. The vicious cycle, right? And, <laughs> yes. and you're right. I think it's important to know that the reason 
this stuff happens is because it's the way that the human brain works. You right. were like, you like so beautifully described for us this conditioning that happens so quickly once your brain realized, oh, relief, I can do this again. But your brain is not good at being able to connect, feel crappy a day later with, I had this drink a day ago. It can't do that. And I, as a pediatrician, (laughs) I know this because that's how we learn how to discipline our kids. And I'm not talking about spanking or anything like that. Okay. But the (laughs) little toddlers have to know immediately what the consequence of an action is. You're not going to sit with them an hour later and be like, okay, little two-year-old Timmy, you know, you shouldn't hit your brother. You know, like it has to be an immediate connection. Otherwise the brain doesn't get it. And so I think once people start realizing that when I help my clients with food, I call it anchoring. So being able to, once you know this information, tune into, I feel crappy today. I'm, I feel hungover. My joints hurt. I don't feel good. Then telling your brain, connect this with what I did a few hours or a day ago, start making that connection. And then it, you, you can develop that conditioning over time with that, but you have to use that cognitive part of your brain because it's right. not the animal part of your brain. That's immediately making the connection for you. You have to use that frontal lobe to help you <laughs> like, you know, make You're that so connection. Right. Oh <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So why is it so difficult to change these habits. I know we've kind of just described that, but what other thoughts do you have on this is so pervasive? I mean, it's like, oh, it's very huge. common. Why is it so hard? Yeah. Well, I think it is so hard because first off, I think we are not talking about this enough. We, again, at the beginning talked about how it's either like your alcohol is not a problem, or if it is a problem, then you definitely need to be talking about it. In fact, you need to go over here, wear a label and into the line. And because we're not talking about it as it's happening, as it's subtly growing midway through, you know, I'm really big on saying you can change your relationship with drinking at any time for any reason. Hey humans, I know you want to eat healthier, but feel strapped for time. And even the thought of meal planning and cooking stresses you out. Well, have you considered trying a meal kit service? Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that make it easy to stick to a healthy living routine. Find recipes for every lifestyle, including plant-based diets. Green Chef delivers quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients, including low-added sugar and sodium smart options. You get to choose from 80-plus flavor-packed options that allow you to take back time in your kitchen with dinner ready in 30 minutes and lunch in 10. Try 15-plus new recipes every week. But here's the best part. Green Chef delivers everything you need to make convenient, wholesome, and delicious meals directly to your doorstep. Each meal kit includes pre-measured ingredients as well as some produce that comes already pre-chopped and custom sauces that are pre-made in-house. They also provide the recipe cards and the meals are really simple to make. It's a delicious, fresh, home-cooked meal without the hassle. 
What I love the most about Green Chef is that it takes the stress out of cooking. The recipes are easy to follow and everything you need is included, so even the less experienced cooks in your house can make a delicious home-cooked meal. It's perfect for those seasons in your life that you're really busy with your kids' sports and school events. Hello, spring, and time is limited, especially if you want fresh, home-cooked, healthy meals to put on the table. So if you're feeling frustrated by the lack of time to eat healthy and you are ready to try Green Chef and see how easily you can integrate it into your healthy lifestyle, go to greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use code IAMHUMAN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com forward slash IAMHUMAN50 and use the code IAMHUMAN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with products intended to bring your mind and body back in harmony. They consider themselves a by-women and for-women company, and they now offer a nutrient-dense green powder called Daily Nutrigreens. Myself and my staff here at Nourish Wellness all tried the Daily Nutrigreens, and we loved it. The Daily Nutrigreens contain an immune antioxidant and detox blend, along with prebiotics, probiotics, and over 35 fruits and veggies. It also contains other important nutrients, such as B12, iron, zinc, and selenium. The Daily Greens are certified organic, and all you have to do is mix it with water, but you can also easily add to your smoothies, your oatmeal, or your baked goods. The Daily Nutri-Greens are vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And another bonus is that the packaging is compostable. Yay! When I tried the Apple Banana Daily Nutri-Greens, I was surprised by the pleasant and mild flavor. It was easy to prepare and drink and didn't leave any aftertaste. And I felt great afterwards. It's really easy to create a daily ritual around your green drink, integrated into your daily self-care routine. A green powder is one way to fill the gap in daily nutrition and is an easy and convenient way to get in your greens. These powders are a great way to add more nutrients into your diet during busy times, travel, and transitions in life when you don't have time or access to fresh green veggies. If you're interested in trying Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens, head to myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, that's D-R-Y-A-M-I, for 15% off Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens and much more. That's myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I, at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You don't have to wait. And I think that keeps us stuck when we're waiting for kind of the shoe to drop or like, well, it's not that bad. I, I really, I think one of the biggest things that keeps people stuck is the comparison trap. Because if I am a gray area drinker and I'm quote, drinking like everyone else around me, anytime I'm kind of have that little nudge inside of like, this is probably not working for me that well. I squelch it down because I just can look around and compare myself to someone who's further down the pitcher plant, the highway. And I'm like, well, I'm not drinking as much as so-and-so, or I didn't do that. And that keeps us stuck 
And that also keeps us posturing out there that is minimizing, not that big of a deal, because I think there's so much stigma and stereotype to having an unhealthy or negative relationship with alcohol, which again, I think many, many drinkers have. We're, we're afraid of the labeling. We're afraid of the judgment. Um, and there's a little bit of shame of like, why can't I get a grip on this? I can get a grip on everything else. I work out. I eat healthy. Uh, I don't lose it with my kids during the day. But at night, I kind of lost my filter. <laughs> What's happening? So I think there's a, a level of shame there. And we know what shame does. It makes us want to hide. It makes us want to posture ourselves out there and minimize the bad and really make the good. So it's all about fun with the friends and girls and kind of joking about it when really there's, there's some, there's some pain there. And I think that that keeps us stuck when we isolate and we don't let people into the struggle, even midway through or while you're in process. I think it's so easy as humans to kind of try to wrestle with our own stuff by ourselves and then come out when everything's better again. And come out with everything's okay. And we've solved the problem. And we love to tell people how we solve the problem. I think it's really critical when you're in it to be able to talk about it then. That's when you need the support the most. And that's what we're doing in our sober sis community is we're talking about it while you're in it, not waiting for you to come out of it and then come over here and we all clap and share success stories. It's so easy and fun. We're talking about it at wine o'clock. I have practical tools. What do you do at five o'clock when your good intentions from 10 a.m. have literally flown out the window and you don't know how to access that part? And you've already brought up a great point, which is it's intentional. You can't just kind of feel the moment and kind of that that monkey mind, that limbic system just goes right back to that default. And if you're trying to hit a physical, mental, emotional craving with willpower or more rules, it will not take you there. In fact, it increases the anxiety, the shame, the failure, which reinforces that I can't do this. I might as well just drink to numb those bad feelings about myself. And then it, it gets worse. So I'm really passionate about making it safe to come out, guys. Come on out and talk about it. Because by not talking about it and by not bringing it into the light, we stay in the dark and then it's really lonely in there. It's really lonely in there when you're trying to face this wind o'clock monster on your own, but it's not that bad. So you kind of think, well, I'll just try again harder tomorrow and it doesn't work. Yeah. Ugh, that's so powerful. And it's, it is, I think just like how you said at the beginning, when you started describing, we think of, you know, like quote a wino or something. We're not there. We're right. not on the curb. We have a job. You know, we, <laughs> right. we are holding down a job. We're being responsible humans. It's not that bad. But yet we're not talking about how it is affecting our well-being, how it is affecting our confidence in ourselves and our ability to do things that we want to do, the control that we want to have. So building that community is so important to be able to discuss this openly without shame, without judgment in order to reach the well-being we each desire for ourselves without somebody else telling us this is how you should be. No, this is right. how I want to be and how can I get there with the support of other people. So tell me, you work, it sounds like you work with a lot of people. So is sober curious a thing? Are there a lot of people that are coming to this realization in their lives that they're like, 
I I want to consider changing my relationship with alcohol. How how are you seeing that? Are you seeing trends of more people searching for this and looking for resources? More than ever before. And that's so exciting. I'm coming up upon six years of living an alcohol-free lifestyle. And I started SoberSys in 2018. So now here, when we're talking, it's 2023. So five years later, I've been really a part of this conversation for five years now. And I have literally watched it grow and change. And with 2020 happening for us, not necessarily to us, for a lot of people, I think it happened to them. I don't know if you've heard this uh, this meme out there. You either became a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> In 2020. Oh my gosh. I haven't heard it. I love it. (laughs) Some people, uh, like my husband, for example, he started a podcast. He got his pilot's license. I mean, the guy just doubled down on, hey, if I'm going to be stuck at home, what can I learn? He's that kind of guy loving for it. Some people were like, you know, just, yeah, gain the, instead of the freshman 15, it was the COVID 15. Yeah. Snacks. <laughs> and I mean, that, and that's yeah. what we saw in pediatrics. Everybody was oh, snacking. Yeah. Cause what else do you do? There's anxiety, there's boredom. You can't leave the house. Oh, it's the perfect storm. And then the, the drunk part, well, let's just call it cute and say that people were doing quarantinis on zoom. Yeah. Actually creating their happier hours, if you will. Uh, They weren't really that much happier. They were just trying to do what they'd always done. But what I noticed, especially after 2020, it was almost like a collective hangover (laughs) in the world. It was like, guys, we cannot sustain this. We can't, the, the vacay, the vacation, the, the, you know, kind of at first it kind of was like, okay, we can adjust to this. We'll just take kind of what we're doing out there and bring it in here. It's unsustainable to live that kind of wheels off lifestyle. And so I think people who maybe were beginning to head down that road of struggling with more dependency on alcohol, higher tolerance, just liking it more, it expedited. It literally accelerated where they were on the drinking spectrum faster because everything got condensed in a more intense time. And that led people to more sober curiosity because really, quite honestly, it's it's just unsustainable to live a lifestyle where you're drinking on a regular basis, a glass or glasses of whatever it is you're drinking, beer, wine, spirits, whatever, our bodies just are not meant to to be in this constant detoxifying processing. And so I think that that people were seeing faster. They were equate, actually, they were probably equating the two more so than when pre-COVID, you know, there, it was just all fun and games. And then it, it really got, it got more serious. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Okay. So say one of my listeners, they're in that place and they, they're thinking about it. They're wondering what it could be like. How can they start to change their habits around drinking and the relationship with alcohol? Where do you suggest they start? Yeah. Well, if I may say, I do have a free guide for women to download. I just work with women, although I think these tools certainly apply to men as well and apply to other areas besides alcohol, um, like you mentioned. But there really are some practical strategies. And and that's why I like to share. If you just go to SoberSys.com, I do have a free downloadable guide 
before wine o'clock tonight. Don't worry about forever. Don't worry about always. Don't worry about if you're never going to drink again. These are too big of steps. These are too big of ideas for someone who's in that gray area. You really do have to take a baby step and you just have to begin to work on tonight. Um, one of my favorite tools, and you'll love this because I, I can just already tell that you do this in your own life. It's play the movie forward. It's okay. If I open, if I crack open that bottle of wine at five, because I'm cooking and that's what the TV is showing me that women do. <laughs> so I think I'll just do what I see that mirror neuron. I'm just going to do what I see. What we do is we go, okay, well, I can do that. I, I have the free will. I have the choice to do that. But let me be realistic. When I do that, what really happens? Not what do I hope happens? Not what do I imagine happens that'll just be fun. And then I'll really connect later with my husband more. And I'll just kind of glide through the evening and help kids with homework. And I won't care. No, that's not really what happens. What really happens is I start to feel more sluggish. I start to feel more tired. Um, my patience actually runs a little thinner. My filter's not there. So I may not be as loving and connecting. I'm actually disconnecting from myself. How do I think I'm going to connect with other people more? I'm losing my own presence. I'm standing at my kitchen sink on the third glass, cleaning the dishes, and I'm less in my own life, not more in my own life. And that is not connecting. So Playing the movie forward has helped. I would say it's it's probably my number one tool and it's helped thousands of women in that moment attach the two. How do I want to feel tomorrow morning? I always say this. I plan my Friday nights based on how I want to feel Saturday morning. These are the These two go together. And I think bringing mindfulness and awareness in, it's kind of a bit of a buzzword no pun intended. It's a bit of a buzzword to talk about mindfulness and awareness, but that is a huge, huge aspect of changing your relationship with anything, um, anything that has that kind of habitual hold on you, but especially with alcohol is awareness and mindfulness. What do I need right now? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I anxious? Am I lonely? Am I tired? It's the halt method. What halt? Stop. What do I really need? Instead of, well, it's five o'clock. I don't even know what I need. I'm just going to have a drink. And it's like throwing something towards the wall and hoping it sticks and just kind of this blunt tool that's supposed to take care of everything. And quite honestly, it takes care of nothing. Yes. Yes. Really what it all comes down to is managing thoughts and feelings, which mm -hmm. is really hard. <laughs> and it's something I wish we had practice with since we were little, you know, and I think that it would help a lot of these things. But do you talk to your group about learning to tolerate and ride the wave of negative emotions? Because, you know, I'm thinking about that 3 p.m. time when we're tired, we're stressed. We know we're going to have to go home and cook the dinner and fold the laundry and do things that are unpleasant even longer. And that's part of the reason we're like, I need a treat. I need something to make Absolutely. me feel better. So what tools do you use when it comes to, to real life <laughs> dealing with negative Ex emotions? Exactly. It's so great that you brought that up because that's actually also in my free guide as a tool. It's called Surf the Urge <laughs> because we really do have to picture that craving or that just, again, we are humans. Your brain, you mentioned it earlier, our brains are working just fine. You're not broken. 
people hear me out there. You're not broken or flawed uh, by by something wrong with your design. If you want an addictive substance that you've trained your brain to desire, it's just a matter of desire. So if we can create that desire through repetition, through conditioning, we can also change that desire. I didn't have that desire until I was in my 30s. It just, it wasn't always there. I created it based on my thoughts and feelings. And so I can actually now change that desire, but I'm gonna have to rewind it back to the thoughts and the feelings to do that. I can't do it with my behavior externally. I'm gonna have to go internally because that's where it came from. That's where the idea came from. And so, yes, at that three o'clock time, that's when we start, okay, beginning to, to be real and anticipate, I do feel this way. I will not always feel this way for hours and hours. This too shall pass. I think so often we sell ourselves short. We don't surf the urge and we give into the urge so quickly. I mean, picture a social setting. Let's keep it real. You're going to meet the girlfriends for dinner. You're at a networking event. You're at a wedding. People beeline to the bar, get the drink in. They circumvent that moment of awkwardness, social awkwardness, needing resilience to build. And we we undermine and outsource our own ability to do hard things so quickly that we forget that we can. And so by surfing that urge and giving yourself that 10 minutes, that 15 minutes to go, I don't like this. I don't like how I feel right now. What do I really need? I don't need a quick relief as much as I need rest. And oh, the concept of rest versus relief, temporary 20 minute wee versus rest. What's going to give me more down the road? Um, it's okay to take a break, ladies. Self-care is not selfish. It looks totally different than numbing yourself all evening long and chasing the buzz. What it really looks like is going, okay, I need a break. I'm going to go sit down, put my feet up. Uh, you know, instead of at the grocery store, at the cash wrap, buying that bottle of wine or two for 10, Wine's so cheap now, you know, or buying a box. Um, instead of doing that, I'm going to buy myself a magazine. And I'm going to save that magazine for five o'clock tonight um, or whenever you can. For some of you, you're like, Jen, you're living in the clouds. That's unrealistic. I can't sit down and read a magazine at five o'clock. Well, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But knowing that what you're experiencing, as my mama always told me, Jen, this too shall pass. This shall pass. If you don't like the way you're feeling, that's okay. It won't stay forever. And that means positive and negative. Neither one lasts forever. So ride the wave and get to the other side. Because I think so often when we snap in there and we take that shortcut, we don't get through something. We don't get on the other side. We're just delaying and pausing the inevitable. And we're not really getting through anything. We're not building resilience and we're not surfing that urge that will come. It'll crescendo. That's when you're like, I'm about to lose it. That's when you reach out for connection because connection really is the antidote to addiction, to any kind of addictive, numbing, habitual behavior. Connection is actually the antidote. It is what we need. And so when you reach out for connection, it disturbs that neuro pathway of focus on what you want and instead get you out into the world and what other people are doing. And that's where our community is so powerful because at wine o'clock, I've got women connecting. How are you doing today? How, and we're relieving that stress and that anxiety and feeling supported 
versus alone, willpower, more rules, deprivation, fighting the craving, and just, you know, it's a crash and burn. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing and a few days after that, you can start eating them and it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them and they're really happy that you're eating them and your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part, because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out, you can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass, you can get culinary cilantro, or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part and it's actually not that expensive either the other thing that i use from hamama is a green onion growing kit which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste so you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root the white part at the bottom you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows and then you can keep eating the same green onions you just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food so if you want to give it a try you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. Oh, that's so beautiful. And yeah, I agree that whenever we're reaching for a substance to numb out, we're undermining our own ability to tolerate negative emotions, which we can. We're strong. We're strong human beings. We haven't made it to 8 billion people on this planet without being strong. 
And there was a time when actually we didn't have much alcohol available. It's something that we've created, manufactured more over time. So we actually had to learn to tolerate a lot of discomfort back in the day. And now we've taught ourselves that we cannot tolerate any discomfort. We have to have an immediate relief of any kind of discomfort. So I think that's a big, huge ability, you know, like a, a wonderful strength to be able to learn how to tolerate discomfort. But like you said, the good news is when we have these feelings, telling ourselves is not going to last forever. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And the big ones for me, I love how you talked about rest because that is a huge one for me. Being a high achiever, I don't know how to rest well. I don't know how to ask for help well. So what I've learned, especially over the past few months when my life's been ultra hectic, lots of decision-making, it's okay to say, you know what, babe, you've been up since four o'clock in the morning. It's six o'clock in the evening. You don't have to keep working. Actually, it's totally fine for you to go rest. <laughs> and I know that that sounds yeah. weird, but sometimes I have to talk to myself, like give myself permission to rest because otherwise my brain is like, I, okay, fine. If you're not going to let me rest, then I need to go eat some cake. You know, like I need some kind of compensation for this really working hard stuff. Right. So I think rest is so important. And, you know, you said earlier, some people might say, well, I don't have time to do that. Well, just look at your life. Do you have time right. to engage in these substances that are causing other problems down the road, which are also right. taking your time? Being hungover feels awful. You know, having fatigue feels awful whenever oh, it's terrible. not the time of the day to have fatigue. So you just have to kind of make those decisions. What's going to be best for your well-being and how you want to show up in your life? Ah, yes. <laughs> just so aligned with what you're saying. And that's so true. I often say being sober-minded is a superpower. Yeah. It is. It's like a superpower. Um, and I don't mean that in a superior way, but I mean that when I walk in a room now, I don't have to get a drink in my hand to feel confident, relax, or navigate myself through. It reminds me, quite honestly, here I am in my 50s. It reminds me of when I was in my 20s because that's how I was in my 20s. I didn't need to have alcohol. Look at the children. I mean, you're a pediatrician. You work with children all day. Children don't meet at the playground and bust open a six pack or bring a yay. You know what I mean? I mean, picture this, y'all. Picture a group of kids going, hey, we're at the park. We're going to have fun. Hey, Johnny, did you bring the six pack? Julie, did you, do you have the vodka? What do y'all have in your yetis? No. No, children know how to be in the present. They know how to have fun. They know how to rest. They take naps. Why, why don't we do that too as adults? And I think exactly just our society, we, we, are, we are duped. We're tricked into this. Uh, avoid discomfort. Get on your phone. Start scrolling. You know, just uh, we are just, I'm sure you've read the book, Dopamine Nation. That's another one of my favorites. And we are, we are literally just hooked on dopamine <laughs> and, um, versus just creating it ourselves through presence, uh, just sheer presence. Yeah. Well, it's time to wrap up and I just have a couple more questions, but yeah, you bringing up children brought up this question as we're working to become more sober minded and, you know, working on a relationship with alcohol. What advice do you have with how we have these conversations with our children? How can we help them as they navigate through life 
and they're going to grow up and get to the age where it's going to be around and they're going to have the opportunity. Do you have anything that you share with your group about that? Absolutely. And again, interesting question, because I really didn't start drinking as a mom until my kids were probably around four and five. So to their earliest memory, um, you know, my husband was a beer drinker, is a beer drinker. I still have a spouse who drinks, by the way. So I know for many women listening or anybody listening, you know, what do you do if you've got a spouse that drinks and it was your activity? Because it was something that we did together. Let's go happy hour. Let's go patio. What do you, it's, Again, very alcohol centric and both people drink. And so, um, and now my my kids, I I changed my relationship with drinking when they were 16 and 18. So they were very aware of the shift that I was making. And now they're in their 20s. So um, so all throughout that, I think modeling, modeling doing hard things and handling hard things and talking about it out loud. We do so much in our own heads, but I think when you've got children, I think I've heard it said, and and you can validate this, I think up until about 12, you're really teaching, teaching, teaching. Everything is about a lesson. And from about 12 on, it turns into training, more about let's take what we've learned and now let's start to apply it. So I think at any age, whether your kids are young, everything's a lesson. When they're older, everything's a training opportunity for them. How do you take it on the road and apply it? And now just modeling, I think our actions speak so much louder than words, the older they get. I think if you've got teenagers and older children, like I do now, um, I don't have to say much. My actions are saying volumes, volumes of communication. I think when they're younger, more words, more talking about it. Um, and showing, modeling healthy alternatives to stress relief and identifying I'm stressed. I'm mommy, you know, mommy's tired. I'm going to go lay down. Like that's a good thing. I think for our kids to see not mommy's tired. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm working harder. (laughs) You know, I'm just, there's that balance too, where you just, I think vulnerability, the older children get, there's that line where, you know, it kind of crosses where you can begin to let your children in to your struggles. And it has, it has opened up so much conversation now with my, at the time, teenagers on into transitioning into their young adult years, uh, because there's still my children is being able to talk out the struggles um, with a sense of vulnerability because it makes it safe for them to have vulnerabilities and struggle too. So I think this, uh, this, MO of I'm going to be the perfect mom. I'm going to get it all together. And I'm going to show them that, you know, never let them see you sweat, never let them see you cry. Keep it together did not serve me well in the years that I was struggling most. And because I would absorb so much during the day, and then I would suppress all day. By the time I did reach that five o'clock, wine o'clock, the the relief, the release I got was so immense from suppressing all day. So I think too, you've got to have, again, this goes back to community um, with other moms who are aligned with you, who are maybe wanting to live the same lifestyle of mindfulness, of presence. And um, and I think that helps kids too, when you're around other adults and your conversations are, are up-leveled and shifted yeah. in that way. Yeah. Oh, that's such great advice. I love it. What do you wish more people knew? 
Oh, I, you know, I wish more people knew what was on the other side of alcohol. Um, there was one point in time where I was so stuck in it. I couldn't imagine life without it, even though I'd been without it at that point for a majority of my life, I couldn't, I couldn't delete it. I couldn't imagine it gone. And for some people that may not be their answer. It may be drinking less. It may be more mindful drinking. Um, but I have found for me and so many others, I didn't expect the gifts of being present so much in my own life. I, I think people would be surprised even if they took a break, even if they you know, did like my 21 day challenge. If they took a break, I think they would be amazed at how much better they would feel to get the clarity of mind to then know how alcohol does or doesn't fit into your life. You, you don't even know until you have a burst and break of clarity, which takes a minimum of 21 days, even physically speaking, to begin to get that clarity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so beautiful. Thank you so much. Jen, I feel like we could talk for hours and I don't like you only just because you live in Fort Worth, because that's one of my favorite cities ever. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you have some really great things to share. And I hope that my listeners We'll take advantage of what you have. So if you could just please review with us where listeners can connect with you and what products and services you offer, please. Yeah, thank you so much again for the opportunity just to spread the word, spread the message. So if you go to SoberSys.com, that is the best place to just get my free guide. Um, I'd love to, to just send you some emails with value and encourage you. And also let women know that at the beginning of every month, I start a 21-day reset challenge. I launch it every month because I know that more and more women are ready. And you've got to strike when you're ready because you don't go by the feelings of if you're ready all the time, but if you're ready at all. Go ahead and take the plunge. And so that's really where our community kicks off is in that 21-day reset challenge. We have women from all over the world. We have a private network so you can feel really kind of safe and secure in there to get vulnerable and have women that, uh, that are with you. And then this April, I have a book coming out. It's called Look Alive, Sis. <laughs> Look alive. Look alive in your own life. 40 Days to Awaken Your Sober Mind. And so all of these links will probably be below. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Sober Sis, one word. And I have all my links in my bio there as well. Oh, perfect. That's great. Okay, last question. Leave yeah. us with two to three ways that people can have fun at social events without drinking. Oh, I love that. It's one of my favorite things now. I actually love to socialize without drinking because number one, the, the people watching <laughs> really gets interesting as the night goes on. But I think walking into a room, you've got to know people are coming in with all different energies from their day. Some people are happy. Some people are sad. Some people are frantic. Some people are totally chill. You just got to ride that wave and just come in as you and know everyone's going to settle. At all the dust is going to settle. And that's when it's really fun to get curious about other people. I love asking people about themselves. Everybody loves to talk about themselves. So when you, when you walk in a room socially, instead of thinking, I'm not drinking, are they going to notice I'm not drinking? Are people going to think I'm an alcoholic because I'm not drinking or that I'm pregnant because I'm not drinking? And, and get that focus off of ourselves and immediately flip it around and start looking around the room who do you want to talk to? You can talk to anybody. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say, how you're coming across. You can be so present in the moment. You can really be curious about other people. And it makes it a lot more fun. 
Awesome. I love that advice. And I think it's so true. And another perk to that is whenever you ask people about themselves, it actually makes you more likable. So absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) win-win. Absolutely. Yeah. Jen, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for doing what you do. Thank you for sharing this message from your experience, from what you've learned in your life and for helping other people that are sober curious and want to become sober minded on their journeys. And thank you so much for being a guest on Veggie Doctor Radio. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.